0: Do you ever just have one of those days where everything is like, yes, finally, we got there. We can, we're ready. We're, we have gone through now 16 weeks of doctrine. 16 weeks of information, of, of doctrine uh, from the Word of God, from other sources. We've talked about the Bible. We've talked about what the Bible is, what it, why we can trust it. How do we know that it is the Word of God? How do we know that it's Word of, the Word of God for us? Then we talked about who God is. Because unless you can trust the Bible, we won't know who God is because that's how God revealed himself to us is through the Bible, through the Word of God. Then from there, we talked about, what did we talk about? I know. I'm, I know. It's not that I don't know. Yeah, right. Is that what I, I forgot, and hopefully no, somebody out here knows. No, it's about Jesus. About who Jesus is. Because the whole revelation of God is about Jesus. It's about who Jesus is, that Jesus was coming, and that Jesus had a plan once he got here to do something. Then we talked about... We talked about man, who man is, man when he was created that's the the most amazing part about that whole month of teaching that uh, we just got done, just finished up last week uh, talking about was that when we were created, we were created perfect. We don't think of ourselves as perfect, especially when we look at the person next to us, we think no, they're not perfect in any way unless <laughs> Nobody's moving. Nobody's even flinching. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but we're not perfect anymore. Things happen. Sin happened. And we talked a couple of weeks about sin and how bad sin is. Sin is horrible. Sin took away everything. Sin took away the glory of God from us. It took away our relationship with God. It took away everything. And it was a willful act on the part of man, God's creation, uh, this perfect being. He gave us a choice. He gave us a will and then said, make the right choice. He gave us the right answer. Don't eat of the tree. Trust me. Trust me, God said. Don't eat of that fruit. And what did man do? He didn't trust God. He trusted a talking snake instead. And when he trusted that talking snake, he sold out our right to rule and reign, to to be like God on this earth, to be God's representative. And when that happened, we lost everything. But then, something absolutely amazing happened. And it happened right away. It didn't take God thousands of years to do something, It happened immediately. He gave a promise. And that promise was, someone is coming. Someone is coming who's going to crush the head of that snake. Who's going to do something to redeem all of this back to us you. God was saying that does redeem it back to you. And he did do that. But starting in Genesis, from Genesis chapter 3, where the fall happens, but also the promise is given, from that moment, God started to put a plan into motion that culminated with Jesus dying on the cross and raising from the dead. That plan we talked about last week has a name to it. And that plan is covenant. Covenant. God put a plan in motion and He He works through or with man, He works on man's behalf, and He works with man through covenants. And there have been all kinds of covenants, uh, cut and broken, or cut and made and and broken. Yes, they were broken, but cut and made throughout history. And covenants is the very unless we understand what covenant is, we won't understand how God really deals with us. When we need something from God, what do we do? Well, there's a way we should do it, and there's the way that we usually do it. Because we don't know, because 21st century human beings don't know how God set it up for us to deal with Him, we usually go to Him and plead or barter. Oh God, get me out of this mess and I'll tell you what I'll do for you. We're trying to cut a new deal. God says, no, I already cut a deal with you. You do it my way? And we'll do it, and then you'll you'll receive the benefits of the covenant. But God, you don't understand. I don't want to do it that way, I want to do it my way. Yeah, that's what Adam said. There is a way that God deals with man, and there's only one way that God deals with man, and that is through covenant. So, what is covenant? It's a very important question. It's a very very pertinent question, but it's also a very powerful question. What is covenant? Most 21st century people have no idea what covenant is. They've heard the word. It's usually a bad word because it's usually a promise I can't get out of. But what is covenant, especially godly covenant? It's very important. This next four weeks is absolutely the most important part of the whole doctrine. Everything works around this, in it, and through it. If you don't get anything else, I mean, it's important to know who Jesus is. Don't get me wrong. Without Jesus, none of this works. But without the covenant, none of this works. It's because of what he did through the covenant, using the covenant, that it makes it possible for salvation and for everything else that God wants us to do. So, what is covenant? The word covenant means a binding agreement between two parties. This is important. I don't want to just go out, it seems like a, a very introductory sentence, but it is absolutely pertinent that you start to get this from this point deep inside your spirit. Let me read it again, and this time listen. I know how it is to sit in an audience. I get it. I totally get it. You sit there and you're nodding, and, and, and the whole time you're thinking about what's going to happen after church. Stop it! <laughs> From here on out, for the next month, you have to give me your undivided attention because this is the most important thing you will ever learn in your Christian walk. It truly is. And as you learn this, things are going to start going, Oh my goodness. Well, their words were coming that shouldn't have come out. That's, that's why. Can you say holy smokes in church? See, I grew up saying holy smokes. And then I, I all of a sudden thought about it one day and went, That's probably not a good one. God, you know, does holy smoke? I don't know. So listen to me. Stop thinking of holy smoke. Now, think of, think of what I'm talking here. Listen to what I'm saying. The word covenant means a binding agreement between two parties. A binding agreement between two parties. Very important. The Hebrew word for covenant is bareth. The Greek word is diathek. It actually means to cut covenant. It doesn't mean a binding covenant or a binding agreement. It means to cut covenant. That's what what. Uh, covenant means. And that cutting of covenant is an important part of this. Something is going to happen during this agreement process where cutting is important. And we'll get there. By definition, it is an agreement to cut covenant by the shedding of blood and walking between pieces of flesh. Yes. So the two divisions in the Bible are are about an old blood covenant and a new blood covenant. There have been more than one blood covenants. You've heard of blood covenants. How many of you as a young person had a blood covenant with a neighbor? It was all guys. Did you notice that? It was all guys. Oh! Well, Diane, I can understand that. Why does that not surprise me? That does not surprise me in the least, all right? <laughs> but our idea of a blood covenant is somewhere behind a, 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 a garage somewhere, cutting your thumb or other, and, and pushing our thumbs together, and making a promise with a friend that you'll be friends for life forever. We're, bro- we're blood brothers. We've heard that. That's where it kind of starts to apply to our life. Oh, yeah, I remember something like that but there's more to it, as you can imagine. There's there's a whole month's worth of talking about that goes along with this, and it is cool. I'm telling you, this is the coolest stuff you will ever see, because all of a sudden, things are going to start making sense. When the Bible says this, you're going to go, oh, that's what it means. It didn't mean what I used to think. That's, oh my goodness, look at this. All right. So there's an older blood covenant and a new or a newer blood covenant. A blood covenant between two parties is the closest and most enduring, the most solemn and the most sacred of all contracts. It absolutely cannot be broken. Say this with me. It absolutely cannot be broken. Now, in our context. Of the back, you know, behind the garage, cutting your fingers, putting them together, and you're saying to your best, you know, your best friend will be best friends for life. They used to say, now they say besties. That's nothing. When we were kids, blood. That was what was involved. That's best friends right there. best friend. Now the problem with, with doing that and being best friends forever, do you remember the name of the person you had the blood covenant with? No! I don't remember who it was. It was one of my neighbors, and I cannot to the life of me can remember who it was. So if it was that important, why can't I? Because we don't really hold blood covenants to the highest standard that God holds blood covenants. Blood covenants in the history of mankind are absolutely powerful and amazing. They've they've actually changed the course of history because individuals have made blood covenants with each other. We don't understand. In the 21st century, we do not understand the the height, the depth, the breadth of the importance of a blood covenant, and especially the most important blood covenant, the blood covenant between God and man. When we understand that fully, it will change your life forever. I'm not kidding. I'm not not over-exaggerating on this. Once we understand blood covenant the way God understands and, and planned and put together blood covenant, it will change your life forever. When you read the scripture, it will come alive to you like it has never come alive before. And things will start to happen in your life that had never happened before because you didn't understand your side of this covenant. There's another example of blood covenants. And that is the marriage relationship. A marriage relationship is, for all intents and purposes, a blood covenant. We don't think of it that way, but it is. I'm going to go really quick through the the marriage ceremony, and when when we actually, later on this morning, I'm going to outline exactly what happens in a blood covenant ceremony, and you're going to see the similarities between the two. We don't today honor uh, marriage as a blood covenant as God does, but he says it's this in Malachi chapter 2, verse 14. says, "...but you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant." When we enter into a marriage relationship, it is a blood covenant relationship. When a bride and groom feed each other wedding cake, they are saying symbolically, I am coming into you and you into me. During that ceremony, they also talk about terms of covenant. This is who I am. When we make our vows, we're saying, this is who I am, and this is what I'm promising to you. Then the other person says, this is who I am, and this is what I'm promising to you. We take an oath between the two of us, our vows. Then we also, uh, when uh, uh, we get to the ceremony, we, we get to the, the cake, we eat the cake, so on and so forth. And then at night, the night of the wedding, there's a consummation where blood is spilled. And I'm not going to talk about that anymore. Explain that one to your kids. But blood is spilled. It is a blood covenant. It is important. It is not by chance. The reason we wear wedding rings on the third finger is because man believed that the third finger had a nerve leading to the heart. And since the heart is the central part of the body, that keeps the blood circulating. It became the symbol of life. There's more to the marriage ceremony than you ever thought possible. It is an agreement. It is a blood covenant. Jews were not the only ones to make blood covenant. Blood covenant has been a part of human culture from the beginning, way back. There's an example of blood covenant, how blood covenant works in our history that you maybe not even knew about. You ever heard of a person called Henry Stanley? You might understand him when, he, when you see hear the other name, Dr. Livingston. Dr. Livingston was a missionary. He had gone into the deepest part of Africa. While he was there, he then disappeared. People quit hearing from him. How do you send support checks if you don't have the communication back and forth? (laughs) The missionaries among us going, yeah, exactly. But he disappears for six years. And finally, a newspaper, uh, which newspaper? It's in your notes. The New York Herald sends a guy, an, an explorer, to go find Dr. Livingston. His name is Henry Stanley. Henry Stanley then makes a, 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 a what do they call him in Africa, when you go in and you do, Safari, Safari. well, kind of more, that's where animals are. Expedition. He makes an expedition into the darkest, deepest parts of Africa, in the middle of the range, of subtropical rainforest. He's trekking through, and he finally finds Doctor Living or uh, Mister Yeah Doctor Livingstone, and he utters the immortal word. You've heard these words forever. Gosh, it's hot in here. <laughs> See, I thought it was a lot funnier when I thought of that this morning. <laughs> he said, "What did he say?" Dr. Livingston, I presume. He goes into the darkest part of Africa, never been there before, and at some point in time, he runs into a tribe. And this was a large tribe, a powerful tribe. It was a very influential tribe in the area, and they were not going to let him pass. So he had two options one was to turn back, or the other was to fight. And neither one sounded like the one he wanted to do. He had been paid good money to go find Dr. Livingston. So he didn't want to go back, but he also knew he could not fight this tribe. And so he was working through how they were going to get past these guys, and his interpreter said to him, there's another way to do this. The way we can do this is to cut covenant with this tribe. Tribe. Henry Stanley, being from America, not necessarily knowing anything about covenant, goes, what in the world are you talking about? And the, the interpreter says, well, here's the deal. If you can't beat the larger tribe, you make a covenant with them. And by making a covenant with them, you become part of their tribe. Their tribe becomes a part of your tribe. You are in a sense, essentially the same tribe. And at that point, they will let you be, go wherever you want to go, and you have the backing of that tribe in case you ever have any other trouble. So Dr. Livingston, or I'm sorry, uh, Henry Stanley says, that sounds like a great idea. Let's do that. And so he begins to negotiate a covenant. I'm going to read it just so that it's, I get all the parts and I don't miss anything. So, Stanley did so, which required several days of negotiations with the chief. After the terms of the covenant were reached, an exchange of gifts ensued. The chief wanted something very important to, to, to uh, Henry Stanley. He wanted his goat. Now we might think, well, what's, what's the big deal? It's a goat. But he loved that goat. It's a, it's, a, it's a quote from a movie. Don't worry. For those of you who have heard it, it's a, never mind. I'm in a strange mood today. I am really sorry. Where's Deb? See, no Deb. But you all can feel her, can't you? In the forest, you're going, she's saying, pull back, John, pull back. But he wanted the goat. Stanley does not want to give the goat up because he has an ailment where he needs fresh milk. So he decides he's like, I don't want to give up the goat, and his interpreter says he wants the goat. There's nothing else that's going to going to work. So he finally agrees. You know, it's either go forward or go backwards. By not in either way, you, you don't get the goat. So he says, fine, he can have the goat. The chief gave him his spear, and he's thinking, a spear? What in the world? Am, I have guns. What do I need spears for? But they make the agreement. The next thing that happens is. Next, the tribal priest brought forth a cup of wine. The old chief selected one of his sons, a prince, and required Stanley to select an Englishman. Both became substitutes for the covenant makers and representatives of the two parties. The priest made an incision on each man's wrist and let their blood drip into the wine. The cup was stirred, and each drank from the mixed blood and wine. Then the priest pronounced terrible curses over Stanley. Then Stanley's interpreter pronounced curses over the chieftain and his family and his tribe. Curses that would come upon anyone who broke the covenant. Finally, the two men rubbed their cuts to get cut wrists together along with gunpowder to mingle their blood and become blood brothers. The gunpowder remained as a visible mark of their covenant. So now Every time they came upon another tribe in the as they were going through Africa and that tribe says you're not going through all Stanley had to do was to call his friend over and all his friend had to do was this and they saw the cut on the wrist and they saw the spear in his hand and they recognized you made a covenant with that with that chief you guys go right on ahead you go right on through Every time they ran into trouble, anytime they needed anything, when they were ever in need, they could go to another another village and they could raise their hand and show the spear and went, Oh, yeah, we probably should give that to you because that, that chief's bigger than us. Sure, yes, you can have anything you want. As Stanley was traveling through Africa, reports are that he cut covenant with fifty tribes. How would you like to be one of his men? (laughs) But when they walked into a new area, a new place, that was not welcoming to them, all the men had to do was this. And they could see covenant after covenant after covenant. I have people backing me up. It's just not me and my men walking through here. There is a relationship with tribes all over Africa that if you don't let me through, or if you don't let me do what I need to do, you're going to be in trouble. And they all understood it. Everybody they met let them through. He survived many situations because of the covenants that he had cut on his way through Africa. In that time, African tribes were not the only people to cut the covenant. Obviously, Arabs, Syrians, the Balkans in the southern part of the southeastern Europe also practiced this ceremony all over the world. This is not a, 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 a covenant, this is not a practice only for Middle East. Literally everywhere there's indigenous people, there is a form of blood covenant. An agreement where blood is spilled and an agreement between a greater power and a lesser power are made. And there are deals struck, and there's agreements made, and there are promises made that can never be broken. If they are broken by one or the other party, great curses are called down upon them and their people. Blood covenant has been around from the dawn of man. Here's the reasons. There are, there are many reasons why to cut a, a covenant, but here are three: A weaker tribe entered into a covenant with a stronger tribe to keep from being destroyed. a business partner be- a partnership between two men to ensure neither would take advantage or, of the other. And two men would devote themselves to each other and their families because of their strong affection for each other as long as, their, as, as, as life-long friends. Today even. You may not know it. I didn't know it before studying it out. We don't walk into a room and go, well, we do. Hi, don't we? We raise our hand. Hi. How? Yes. Those of us who are from indigenous tribes. But we also shake hands. As you shake hands, that is, that's a a form or a, a ritual of covenant in some places, is to shake hands. It's number one, so they can see the covenants you have on your arm, but also to show that you have no weapon in your hand against each other. So, this goes back to the dawn of man, way back in our anthropological history. So, what I want to be... Focused on this morning is this part, because this part is cool. As we go through the Hebrew blood covenant ritual, you're going to start seeing things that are gonna just they're gonna start blowing your mind. This is cool. The Hebrew blood covenant was similar to the other nations around them. All nations practice this stuff, not just the Hebrews. All ancient blood covenant rituals have certain common elements. We can organize these common elements into the following nine steps, along with a scripture reference for each step. The scripture reference talks about, in the Bible, where we see this happening during a blood covenant ritual between two people, or or between God and man. I'm not going to go through the scriptural references, we're just going to talk about how it happens, what happens. Happens and as it goes along to outline what a blood covenant looks like, a, a generic blood covenant. But even as we do that, that generic blood covenant, you're going to start recognizing the, the parts of the blood covenant that God created. And if you need to shout hallelujah, go right on ahead. Step one. Step one. The first thing I do in a blood covenant is to take off my coat or robe and give it to you. Now to the Hebrew, in a blood covenant ritual, a person's robe represents the person. By taking off my robe and giving it to you, I symbolically say, I'm giving you all of myself. My total being and my life, I pledge to you, and then you would do the same thing to me. Now, just to give you a quick hint. Do you remember when Jesus talks about giving us robes of righteousness? We exchange a garment of. No. What's the. No, there's another word. I'm exchanging this garment of four robes of righteousness. Garments of. God, oh, there's a verse. I can't find it. Everybody. Yeah, you can feel it, can't you? Filthy rags. We, we, we exchange our filthy rags, and He gives us a robe of righteousness. So we can start to see where these things start to correlate. Now, rest easy. In a couple of weeks, I will go specifically through our covenant and show you where he does it uh, throughout the whole Bible. You'll have it in front of you. You'll have it in paper. You'll be able to study it. I encourage you to study these areas here. This, this 1 Samuel 18, 1-4 is the blood covenant between Jonathan and David. The second step is I take off my belt and give it to you. Now, we use our belt to hold up our pants. But back then, their belt was not to do that. It was to hold our weapons on our body. Our knives, our, 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 the different weapons we may carry would be strapped to our belt. So when I take off my belt, I'm taking off my, my weapons, my armor. My armor would be tied to that. Everything. So what I'm saying is I'm taking off my weapons, I'm giving them to you. You take off your weapons and you give them to me. It is a symbolic gesture that if you're ever in trouble, I will be the first one there to defend you. If you're ever in a fight, I'll be there. I will fight with you. My, not only myself, but everybody who's associated with me will come to fight for you in your, on your behalf. It is an exchange of power, authority, might. And so the two tribes would change, or the two leaders would exchange belts, saying, I am your protection, you are my protection. Everything that is yours is mine, and everything that is, mine is yours. Equal partners. Step three the next step is to actually cut the covenant. They would take an animal, they'd split it down the middle. In the Bible, an animal is only cut down the middle and split in two in a covenant ceremony. After we split the animal, we lay each half to the side of us and stand in between the two bloody halves of flesh with our backs to each other. Then we walk right through the bloody halves, making a, a figure eight and coming back to stop facing each other each time. And in, and in doing so, we're saying two things. First, we are saying that we are dying to ourselves giving up our rights to our own life, and beginning a new walk with a covenant partner unto death. In this covenant, each half of the dead animal represents us. And second, since the blood covenant is the most solemn pact, we each point down to the bloody animal split in two and say, God do so to me and more if I have ever tried to break this covenant. Split me down the middle and feed me to the vultures because I tried to break the most sacred of all compacts. That's a whole lot more oomph behind it than the little cut on the finger behind the garage, isn't it? When they would cut covenant, they're basically saying, I am telling you, you are me and I am you. There is no difference. I just died. You just died. We became a new person and this is what's going to happen to us if I ever break this covenant a blood covenant is a symbolic gesture of giving your life to someone else forever you don't enter into this lightly this is not a a wimpy decision a a momentary hey let's do something fun guys this is a solemn act between two individuals who realize I'm about to give up everything that I am for this other person. Now that's really hard for us to look at that, isn't it? To think that I'm, I, when I'm saying I'm entering into a blood covenant with God, that I'm saying I am dying to myself forever. And I'm going to live for God. But do you realize that's exactly what Jesus did? When he cut the blood covenant with, uh, for us, he said, I will die to myself. And he literally did. And I will live for you for eternity. That's powerful. That's a powerful statement that he's making. The next step. The next step is to raise the right arm and mix the blood. So we raise our right arms, we cut our palms and bring them together. As we do, our blood intermingles. Then we swear allegiance to each other. As our blood intermingles, we believe our lives are intermingling and becoming one life. This is because our blood is our life, and to intermingle blood is to intermingle life. So we are putting off our old nature and putting on the nature of our blood covenant partner. We too are becoming one. Man has always believed that the intermingling of blood is intermingling of life, the symb- this symbolically shows the two of us become one. Do you remember when Jesus was being followed by thousands of people? He had just fed the, the 5,000. There were people all over the place following him. We know they, I've, I've said this before, and I've heard, you know, read it many times. Theologians believe there were 5,000 men. That's what it says. It says that there were 5,000 men. Well, if there's 5,000 men somewhere, there's a bunch of women also. And anytime there's men and women, there's usually children. So the estimates are there wasn't just 5,000 people or men following him, but there were upwards of 20,000 people following him. That's a lot of people. That's a big congregation to be walking around Israel preaching. But he was healing everybody. He was doing powerful miracles. He was saying things they'd never heard before. And there were people flocking from everywhere to be around him. And while he was walking along one day after he had fed the 5,000, I think he got tired of it because he realized that the people weren't following him because of the life he was trying to bring, but they were following him because he kept feeding them. They wanted to see another miracle. They wanted to see something cool. So it says that he turned to them and he said this, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of the kingdom of heaven. And it said that all of those people, the 5,000 men, whatever women and children were with them, they all left except 12. He said something very hard. He said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will not be a part of the kingdom of heaven. He was making a statement that was saying, unless you become a blood covenant partner with me, you will not get to, you will not see heaven and everybody except the 12 left and jesus turned to the 12 and said do you guys want to go too he wasn't into church growth per se he was into church purity do you guys want to leave too now's the perfect time to leave You don't hear that sermon in churches anymore. Do you know that? There's been a lot of times I wanted to preach that sermon, but you know, gosh. Not because I'm trying to get rid of people, but because you want people doing things for the right reason. Are we doing what we're doing for the right reason? And are we we, Have we entered into a blood covenant with our God that is unbreakable? You cannot break this blood covenant. If you try to break this blood covenant, be unto you. What happened at that sacrifice? That's what we said when we signed up. We don't tell people that, do we? We don't tell people the cost and what we're signing up for. It's not a part of the it's not a part of the of the witnessing phraseology. But unless they know, unless you know what you sign what you're signing up for, you are signing up for dying to everything that used to be yours, and you are now a part of him what he wants, how he wants, because he already died to everything that he was. When we talked about Jesus, you see how this stuff starts to pull together, how it all starts to tie together? When he left heaven, he left everything. He became a human being forever. We haven't even got to the, well, we just did. talked about the part of the scar. The mark that was left from the the bloodletting. Symbolically shows This symbolically shows that the two of us are becoming one. Step number five. There is an exchange of names. Do you remember when I said that the marriage ceremony is a blood covenant ceremony? At some point during that ceremony, it's usually at the end after the, after the kiss. When the pastor says, I want to now introduce to you Mr. and Mrs. so-and-so. There's an exchange of names. As, we, as they stand there with the blood intermingling, they exchange names. I take your last name as part of my name, and you take your, my last name as a part of your name. So that when you walk into that village, and they're telling you you're not going through here, you're not passing through, Dr. Stanley said, I'm not sorry, not Dr. Stanley. Henry Stanley said, Hi, I'm Henry... Stanley Mukbulabaga. I don't know what his name was. (laughs) Some African name. And when they heard that name, oh gosh, that's great, going through. When we walk into whatever situation we're walking in, you don't walk in as John Neitzel. You don't walk in as your name. You walk in as John Neitzel, the son of the Most High God. King of kings, Lord of lords, the great I am. You walk in with a new authority that far outweighs who you are. Step six you make a scar. The next step is to rub the blood together and make a scar as a permanent testimony to the covenant. The scar will bear witness to the covenant we have made. It will always be there to remind us of our covenant responsibilities to each other. It is the guarantee of our covenant. Remember I asked the question, why when Jesus got a new body, a new new, uh, 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 redeemed, a new uh, uh, heavenly body, why does he still have scars? That's why. It wasn't wasn't God went, oh, shoot, I forgot to take rid of those scars. It was the scars. It is the scars themselves that will bear testimony throughout eternity of what he did for us. When we see him, oh my goodness. When we see him. we will see the scars. That's for me. I don't know what you're going to be thinking, but I'm going to be thinking, that's for me. If anyone tries to harm us, all we have to do is raise up that right arm and show our scar. By that we are saying, there's more to me than meets the eye. If you're coming after me, you're also going to have to fight my blood covenant partner. And you don't know how big he is. So what are you going to do? Are you going to take your chances or are you going to back off? If the would-be attacker has any sense, he's going to back off. So the scar is our, is our seal that testifies to the covenant. When Satan comes to you and starts telling you a lie, because that's why if you see his lips, if he comes to you and tells you, you, you can't do that, you don't have the right, you don't have the ability, you don't have the power, you don't have the money, you don't have the resources, you are going to fail. You are going to lose. You are going to be destroyed. You are going to lose everything. When we understand... I can't, I can't not get into this part of it. It's so, it's so good. Because here's where it starts to work. When Satan is attacking you, when he's attacking your health, when he's attacking your finances, when he's attacking your business, when he's attacking your family, when he's attacking... Whoo! When he's attacking whatever he's attacking, you don't have to argue with him. You don't have to try to reason with him. You just say... I'm in covenant. And your covenant partner is the one who fights for you. Why do we not see the stuff we all want to see? Why don't we see healing? Why don't we see prosperity to the level that we know God wants to give us? Why don't we see success? Why don't we see all of these things? It's because we're not fighting with the right fight. We're coming to the fight with going, well, you know, I don't want to be sick. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I want to, you know, I'm a provision. I don't don't know what I'm going to do. No, we should immediately. Jesus said, when your accuser comes to you and, and presses charges against you, immediately surrender. Because it's not you fighting. None of this is you fighting. You don't ever have to fight another moment in your life. All you have to do is to show who you're in covenant with. Oh, this next month we are going to get there. And when we get there, look out. Remember a sermon I probably preached two or three years ago. Give me a hundred men who fear nothing but heaven. Fear nothing but God and desire nothing but heaven. And they will change the world. When we get covenant, when we understand how much power, how much authority, how much of everything we have in this universe backing us up, we are unstoppable absolutely unstoppable. And we're not, trying to, uh, we're not trying to control people. We're controlling the heavenlies. No, Satan, you're not doing that anymore. This is what's going to happen. The kingdom of God is coming. The kingdom of God is advancing. And He's advancing through us. Because I have the authority. I have all the authority in heaven backing up what I'm about to do. Oh, but see, right there, when I said that, some people went, yeah, well, but. Right, we're going to get rid of the yeah buts this year. Because once we get rid of those yeah buts, well, yeah, but you don't understand. You're right, you're right, I don't understand. You're going through stuff I'm not going through, but I'm telling you, we have the covenant. And when we get that we have the covenant, nothing stops the covenant. Nothing stops the kingdom that you're a part of. Forcefully advances. (sighs) Told you I love this stuff. Step seven covenant terms. Then we stand before witnesses and give the terms of the covenant. I say, All of my assets are yours, all of my money, all of my property, all of my possessions are yours. If you need any of them, you don't even have to ask. Just come and take them. I could read that about ten times. I encourage you to do so. Underline that right now. Everybody who's got that, underline that phrase. Yes. I say, all of my assets are yours. All my money, all my property, all my possessions are yours. If you need any of them, you don't even have to ask. Just come and get them. That is the covenant. You gave up everything you had. Filthy rags. And He gave you everything. Everything. Everything you need for life and godliness are yours through the blood of Jesus Christ, through the covenant that He cut with Himself, with God. So if you need anything, you don't have to beg, you don't have to plead, you don't have to make a deal with God. In your covenant, it's yours it's yours go get it yeah but yeah but oh we'll get there i have a whole month to get there and beyond do you know that this stage right here is what we're going to spend the rest of the year on okay what are the covenant terms what are the promises what promises can we actually stand on what, what, what did he say he would do for us? And if he said he would do it for us, then why am I not expecting it? Yeah, but, well, that, you know, you can't believe that because, you know, because there's... No. The covenant is the covenant. If he said he would do it, he, he can't break it. He can't break it. He won't break it. It's impossible for him to lie. He he did not make a covenant that he is going to back out on. If he said he will do it, he will do it. Not because I'm forcing him to, because he willingly did it for us. (laughs) Covenant terms. But at the same time you also get all my liabilities. If I ever get in trouble financially, I don't have to come ask for your money. I come to you and say where's my check? Where's, che- where's our check? Where's our checkbook? Yeah, but yeah, but John, Pastor John, you can't say that because oh yes, I can. We are in covenant, everything I have is yours and yours is mine, both assets and liabilities. So we stand there and we read off before witnesses our list of assets and liabilities. So when it came to our time to say, here are my assets and my liabilities, everything I have is a liability, God. I am absolutely in want, I have nothing to give to you that has any worth whatsoever. But everything you said, everything that's mine is yours, here it is. And he said, great! That's what I wanted you to do. I wanted you to humble yourself and realize that you don't have anything to give. Tell you what though, I do. He has everything. And he wants to give it to you. That is grace. Joy unspeakable. Full of glory. Why? Because we got an unbelievable deal we got a deal that you can't... I mean, who in their right mind would make it? God. Because He is love. And He loves you. And because He loves you, He didn't care what you were. He knew what you could be. Oh, we'll get there. We are going to so get there. Step... 8 Then they would have a memorial meal together to complete the covenant union. In place of the animal and the blood, we in our covenant meal with our God have bread and wine. Could I have the ushers begin to prepare communion, please? In the Bible, wine is called the blood of the grapes. And it represents our own lifeblood. The blood represents our flesh. We take a loaf of bread and break it into two and feed it to each other, saying, this is symbolic of my body, and I'm putting it into you. Then we serve each other wine and say, this is symbolic symbolic of my lifeblood, which is now your blood. And now symbolically, I am in you, and you are in me. We are now one together with a new nature. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus, sitting at a meal, did exactly that. He says, we're going to have a meal. Now, he did it, interestingly, by faith. Because he had yet not died. He had not shed a drop of blood yet for our sins. But at that meal, he knew full well what was about to happen. And he already knew what his answer would be. Yes, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. And it says he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, broken for you. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And then it says that he took the wine and he says, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant. This blood is shed for the remission of sins. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Every time we receive communion, it is in remembrance of what Christ did for us. The covenant that he broke. There is power in this ceremony. We're not ceremonious people. As a church, we're not into all the drama and the ceremony. But there is a couple things that we do. One is baptism. Baptism is a vital part of our walk with Christ, our obedience to do what He told us to do by being immersed in water, of all the goofy things, to come to church in dry clothes, go home in wet ones. But it's a, it's a sign of our obedience to His design, to way, the way He does things. And the other one is communion. Communion is vital to, do, to partake of on a regular basis. Because it's that touch point, it's that moment in your life where you go, you know what, I'm in. But we, most of us, don't understand the fullness of, of covenant, and so because of that, we just we do the ritual, and we we don't we don't know what we're doing. What we're doing is we're symbolically saying, but we're saying it in the spirit that now, God, I'm taking you into me. I what you everything that is yours is mine. Everything that is mine is yours. And we take the wine, we drink it, we're saying, your life blood is our blood. We are you. When God looks at you, He sees Jesus. We throw that phrase out there, and, and, and you might have heard that many times, but He does, when, because we are in covenant with Him, He knows that. He sees the scars, and, and Christ is interceding for us, and He says, they're my children. They're my blood brother, my blood sister. They are in covenant with me. When God looks at us, He sees Jesus. I believe when Satan sees you, he sees Jesus. Jesus. Because he sees the scars, he sees the spiritual covenant that is that you're in. The only thing he cannot, he cannot take your covenant away from you. The only thing he can do is to lie to you and to make you think that you don't have a covenant or that it doesn't somehow apply to you. And it's a lie. This morning, as we receive communion, I encourage you to have that as our mindset. Jamie, could we have some music, please? And then one last step before we receive communion this morning. The last step of the covenant, of a, of a Hebrew covenant ceremony is the planting of a ceremonial tree. Huh. Interesting, Huh. They now leave a memorial to the covenant. We want to always remember, we do this by planting a tree and sprinkling the blood of the animal that was sacrificed on the tree. We have a ceremonial tree that's been planted for all of eternity. The cross. It's not by accident that that's how Jesus died. You see how all of this ties together. It is not by accident in any way, shape, or form that everything he did from the beginning to the end, and when we actually get into who he was, who he called himself, what the Bible says about him, and every step he took through his life... Every single step was, everything was focused towards the fulfilling of that covenant, the cutting of that covenant, and fulfilling it absolutely perfectly. Everything he did, even the cross being called a tree, in the Old Testament was said, cursed is anyone who is hung upon a tree. It's not an accident. None of this is by accident. The book where I'm getting all of this information I've had for years. It was actually the very first Bible uh, school class that I taught. How many years ago now? Eight, nine years ago? On a Wednesday night, we did a, a class on Blood Covenant because that I knew that had to be the first class. Because everything hinges off of the Blood Covenant. There's a book called The Miracle of the Scarlet Thread. It's in the back of your book, in the bibliography. It gives you all the information buy the book it's on amazon you can get it in kindle buy the book it is phenomenal it gives you even more information than i have i can't put all the information it has phenomenal book the miracle of the scarlet thread from because from the moment in the garden where adam and eve confessed to god this is what we just did and he pronounced curses on them because they broke the covenant from that moment throughout history he started to weave the whole picture of the covenant and what it was and what, it, what, what, what had to happen and as we understand that the more we understand the covenant the more that we understand what exactly he did The more sure footed you will become because you will soon realize you'll get to the point where you're going, wait a second, why am I putting up with this stuff? Why am I putting up with this attack? Why am I putting up with this lack? Why am I putting I don't need to? I have a covenant. I have a covenant with one who is greater than I. I claim the covenant. I claim the covenant. What he did on the cross was not just to get us out of hell. Praise God for that. What even more is he gave us everything we need for life and godliness from that point on to do everything he's called us to do. There is nothing that is impossible to us. Why? Because he's made a covenant with us, a covenant that does not have an end. It goes on for eternity. You, oh, I can't go there. I would start a whole nother sermon. Whew. Let's stand. We're going to celebrate the covenant right now. Very possibly for some, it's the first time you've ever celebrated this knowing that you were celebrating the covenant. You're remembering what he did for you. You're, we're celebrating the very fact that he did what he did. Now, there may be someone here who's not part of the kingdom. You're not part of the covenant yet because there's a there's a way in. You don't just... You're not born into the covenant. You're actually born into the other kingdom. The kingdom of darkness. And until you accept what Jesus did on the cross for you, and you say, yep, that's the only way I'm getting in is because of what Jesus did on the cross. Until you accept that, until you you announce that, until the Bible says that you believe it in your heart that Christ died for you, but you also confess with your mouth that He is the Lord of your life. Until you do that... You're not part of the kingdom. Oh, but you know, that's, that's mean, Pastor John. You're saying I'm not part of something? Yeah, that's the way it is. Sorry, black and white. True. Life. is the way it is. Reality. The reality is you must be born again. Unless a man be born again, he will not see the kingdom of heaven. That's what the Word says. That's what Jesus said. But once you do that, you're in everything that is God's is yours. You're going, wait a second, that's all I have to do to get everything that is... Yeah, that's it. Give up everything that's yours. Let Him be the Lord of your life. Confess it with your mouth and you're in. And then live the rest of your life for Him. Die to yourself. Give up everything else. Be willing to go where He doesn't want you, where you don't want to go. There's a whole bunch of other stuff too. Just, you know, I've I've already kind of laid that on thick today I hope. If you don't know Christ is your Lord and Savior right now, you can make it. You can allow him into your life. You can allow him. You can say, "Yes, Jesus, I accept what you did on the cross for me." From this day forward, you're the Lord of my life. You get to be the boss from here on out. Yes, Jesus. You can make that statement right where you're standing right now. No ceremony. I don't do ceremony. I don't, want, I don't want this to become a part of a ceremony. You say it. You believe it in your heart. You're in. That's what he said. Then you can celebrate this. You can, you can receive this communion as the Bible says rightly because we are celebrating the covenant. This is his body broken for you this is his blood shed for you for the remission of sins. Today as we do it, do this in remembrance of him. Amen.